my last sermon in this series, Countercultural. I have to say I have very much enjoyed preaching on these topics and preparing for these messages on Sunday. I hope that you have been blessed by them. And I hope that this last one, I want to talk to you today um, uh, about something that I also think is important for us. Um, and I want to introduce it by asking this. What was your favorite subject in school? Or I guess to our college students and our teenagers in the room, you know, what is your favorite subject in school? How many, how many math nerds do we have around here? Oh my goodness. Uh, everybody, I want you to look around. Everybody that has their hand up. Those are all the people that need to be saved. Um, man, math and science were not my thing. Some of you were like, man, when I was in school, I was just glad to get out. I don't have a favorite subject. The truth is, everybody has something that they like to study. All I have to do is just look at your Google search on any of your devices, and there's probably something that you've been looking at and trying to learn about and trying to study. Even if it's not academic in nature, it might be something recreational in nature. It can be a lot of different things. So when it comes to spiritual things, what would, you, what would you say is your favorite subject? When, when it comes to the things of God, a Bible subject, what, what would be something that you would say, now, I really enjoy talking about that, conversing about that, thinking about that? For some of you, it might be an area of theology, like maybe God's sovereignty. Or maybe it might be something uh, like creationism. Or maybe end times is just really your thing. You love that. Or perhaps it's a part of the Bible. For me, I love the Psalms. When I want to hear from God, I just, I just love the Psalms. Some of you might say, oh man, my favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus. Anybody? I actually like Leviticus. And there are some people among us that would say, all that Old Testament history and some of those, that, you know, the Old Testament law, I really enjoy that. Let me ask you this question. What do you think, if I was to ask Jesus that question, if we were to say, Jesus, what is your favorite spiritual topic? What do you think Jesus would answer? Okay, now you can whisper an answer to, you know, your spouse next to you and see if you guessed it right. Or you can just flip over and look at the, at the back of your bulletin, and you can see kind of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus' favorite topic was the kingdom, the kingdom of God. I'll give you some examples from the book of Matthew. In uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, the very first thing Jesus ever said, probably the, the first words in red in your Bible, if you open up in Matthew, you will see Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, the content of Jesus' teaching right off the bat, repent for the kingdom is here. Matthew chapter 4 basically summarizes all of the things that Jesus talked about as he went around and preached in a lot of different places in Galilee. It basically just said he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, the Sermon on the Mount, really the first full sermon that we have and maybe the first one of the first sermons that Jesus ever preached, he started off by talking about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 19, he talked about being the least and the greatest in the kingdom. And also in Matthew chapter 5, he talked about righteousness that was required in order to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, he told us in the model prayer, well, he told his disciples and us by default to pray for the kingdom before we even pray for our own temptations, before we even pray about our own physical needs. Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come 
your will be done. Most of us just kind of scoot past that and move on to, to the other parts. Matthew chapter 7, he talked about how to enter the kingdom. Matthew chapter 10, he told his apostles when he sent them out on a temporary mission, he said, hey, I want you to go and proclaim the kingdom just as I have been talking to you about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a whole bunch of parables, and he actually told a whole bunch of parables all throughout the gospel, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, almost as if He's trying to explain to his hearers what the kingdom is like. And he talked about it was like a sower or like a mustard seed or like leaven working through dough or like a pearl of great price or treasure in a field. He used all sorts of analogies to describe the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, he told Peter, he said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Matthew chapter 18, he took a child and he put it in the midst of his disciples, and he said, you're not going to enter the kingdom unless you have faith like a child. Matthew chapter 19 talked about how hard it was for rich people to enter the kingdom. And Matthew chapter 26, Jesus promised that one day they were going to feast with him in a kingdom that was going to come at the end of time. Matthew chapter 20, there was a mother who had some ambitions for her uh, her apostles who followed Jesus, and evidently she had heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of, of, of God a lot, and so she went to Jesus and she said, hey, these, one of these two sons of mine, let them sit on thrones with you in your kingdom. Obviously had had an impact upon her. I encourage you, I challenge you, go through the Gospels, really any Gospel, you will barely be able to flip a page without reading something that Jesus says about the kingdom of God. It was his favorite topic. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, after he was raised from the dead and before he ascended to the Father, He talked with the disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God. I think it is an understatement to say that the kingdom of God was Jesus' favorite topic. I think it would also probably be an understatement if I was to say that our favorite topic probably has something to do with the kingdoms of man. We think a lot about the kingdoms of man. We have our minds set on the kingdoms of man. And when we even think about the word kingdom, we have a tendency to think about nations, we think about governments, and we think about politics. Let me be transparent this morning and tell you that this sermon, this last sermon in this countercultural series, is an effort to combat this this insatiable desire that it seems like that not just Christians, but it seems like everybody in our nation has this insatiable desire to keep up with politics and to get drawn into heated political debates. And as a result, as Christians, I feel like that sometimes we have a major trouble separating God's kingdom from the kingdom of man that you and I live in called the United States of America. 
I think that if we're not careful, I think that, and, and that we, I believe that we have, we have made an idol out of our favorite brand of politics, and we've tried to Christianize it. And I believe that we have to be careful about that because Jesus saw the world through a different set of eyes. Jesus preached and he taught and he had an agenda that didn't have anything to do with the kingdoms of man, with governments and politics. It had everything to do with a secret agenda, something different that his eyes could see and that our eyes must see if we're going to live in a countercultural way. So what I want to do today is I want to look at a conversation that Jesus had with a government official who was about to condemn him to death. He had a conversation with a guy named Pilate, and he's made some interesting statements about the kingdom. Pilate tried to ask him some politically charged questions, some questions about governance, and some questions about authority, some questions about temporal authority. But Jesus answered from a spiritual perspective, talking about the kingdom of God, and I believe this is a good model for us to follow as well. Stand with me if you don't mind, and open your copy of God's Word. We're going to read in John chapter, uh, John chapter 18, and we're going to start reading in verse 33. We're going to see Pilate ask a politically charged question, and Jesus answer in talking about the kingdom. Verse 33. Pilate enters his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Did you say this on your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? <laughs> Let me just stop right there. I love the way that Jesus deflects political questions. In, a, in, in our day, it seems like everybody wants to talk about these types of things. and every, I mean, He just... Like, do you, do you believe in paying taxes to Caesar? And he just kind of ducks it. And then he has this guy ask him a question about governing authority. And he just kind of answers in a very tactful, in a, but in a, in a very pointed, very spiritual way. He says, did you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Let's pray. Father, I just ask today that you would open our minds to what the kingdom is and how we should be involved in it. Lord, I pray that we would worship you and worship you only. I pray that we would never be more passionate about anything in this life except for what you were passionate about, your favorite subject, the kingdom. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, Matt, how many of you have seen that old movie by Nicolas Cage? He was in it, uh, National Treasure. Y'all remember that movie? How many of you have seen that movie? 
Uh, I love that movie. You know, he, he runs around and uh, he, tries to, he tries to find these artifacts. He's almost like, a, he's, he's almost like an, a, an American, you know, updated version of uh, Indiana Jones. Y'all know, n- none of y'all know who Indiana Jones is over here. Oh, you do? All right, all right. Um, but he goes on this treasure hunt and he, he tries to find all these artifacts. And, you know, the secret lies with Charlotte. Do y'all remember that phrase from the movie? I kind of had to. I kind of had to go back and kind of kind of brush up on it. But it kind of made me think about um, all the conspiracy theories that we tend to live with and deal with in our politically charged environment. Now. We don't have a whole lot of those going on right now because, uh, you know, things with COVID are not as ramped up as they were before. We're not in the midst of a political, or excuse me, a presidential election right now, although midterms are coming. Um, you know, all, anytime there's something major on the world stage that happens, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's a presidential election, especially the, our American president, man, that's a, that's a big one on the world stage. Anytime there's anything like that, you, man, you, just, you can find conspiracy theories everywhere. And a conspiracy theory is basically... A rejection of standard explanations of world events. No, no, no. The standard explanations do not apply because there's a covert group. And they're sinister. And they're secretive. And they're actively working and worming their way behind the scenes. And they have a secret plot. And everything that happens is really controlled by them. Whoever, I, I never, them, who is, who, are you a them? Are, are they a them? Or is the, is the them here? And that's kind of, that's kind of how conspiracy theories work. And here's the thing. I have no doubt that there are evil men at work in this world. I have no doubt that the schemes of man are all over the place in this world because I know that there is an active devil named Satan who has an army of demons and he has a sinister plot to create chaos and disorder and destruction. So in that way, I do believe in conspiracy theories. All I have to do is flip back and look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, and I can see how Satan was trying to mess it up. All I have to do is flip to the end of the book in Revelation, and I can see how Satan and his evil devices, that they are there and present, trying to somehow thwart what God is doing. But listen to me, Christian, there's something bigger going on. There's something bigger happening around us that we can't legitimately call it a conspiracy theory. However, we can call it a secret agenda that a lot of people do not see, that a lot of us, even as believers, do not see, and it is God's kingdom agenda. And God talked, Jesus talked about it all the time. We read it in Scripture, and it's everywhere happening around us. Do you believe that God's plan is unfolding upon this earth? Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. Do you believe God is in control of this world? If you do, say amen. Do you believe that he has a plan and a purpose for what he is going to do with you and with us and with all of history to bring it to an appropriate close of his choosing? Do you believe that? 
There is a kingdom that is at work amidst us, and in order for us to be counter-cultural, sometimes we've got to turn off all of our political manderings and all of the, all of the maneuvering and all of the, the thoughts and the opinions that we have about the things of this world and focus rather on the things that Jesus preached And that is the kingdom of God. In John chapter 8, this conversation that Jesus had with Pilate, I just really want to point out three quick things. And they're going to be really quick because there's really a lot that we could say about the kingdom of God. Three things that I want to point out really, really quick. And you can see them on the back of your bulletin. Our kingdom is a kingdom that disrupts the world. And I mean the natural, or we could call it the unnatural, sinful order of the world. Um, and that's the first thing that I wanted I, I, I want to, uh, to point out today. We have a kingdom that's not of this world. And we have a king that came into the world. So first, let's look at this first point. We have a kingdom that disrupts the world. There's a question that Pilate asked Jesus. And normally, we focus in on him saying, hey, are you the king of the Jews? We normally focus in on that question. But this other question that Pilate asked him, just it kind of... It kind of kind of popped out at me this week. He asked Jesus, what have you done? In other words, there is something that Jesus had been doing that had just kind of upset the natural order of things. Or maybe we should call it um, a natural disorder of things because the kingdoms of man are in disorder and in disarray and are being moved around and influenced by the enemy. We know that. All we have to do is look around. But he asked him, he says, what, what, have, what have you done? There is something about Jesus and God's kingdom that just disrupts and just messes with the systems of the world. In the same way that Jesus, as recorded in Scripture, he went into the temple and he flipped over tables. It's almost as if when the kingdom of God comes in power, it it just disrupts things. And the only thing that Jesus had done, the only thing that he had done was preach and heal. That's basically it. He had spoken spiritual truth, and he had healed people and worked miracles. He had not made one political maneuver, even though Satan tried to tempt him to do so, even though the Jews tried to take him by force and make him king, even though people were constantly coming to him, just like Pilate, and asking him these politically charged questions. He did not make one political maneuver and, and as far as trying to seize government power and use it for his kingdom purposes. He didn't have to. He didn't need it. He didn't need it to do what he came to do and to accomplish it. But there's something about what he did do in a spiritual way that just disrupted things. And this This continues to happen in our day. There is something about the kingdom of God and the coming of God's rule and God's reign in the hearts of people that disrupts governments, especially oppressive governments that hate it. All we have to do is go back and look at the Roman Empire and see the early Christians and how the coming of the kingdom disrupted um, uh, the early Roman rule. Uh, all we have to do is just, like, and I said this last week, get on an airplane and fly over to China and see what the movement of the kingdom and how government is against, uh, against that as well. But when the kingdom comes, it takes over. 
Now, this has happened to you. This has happened inside of you, personally. When you receive Jesus as Savior, God's rulership, His lordship, His kingship, it came to bear upon you, and it keeps happening to you. At least it should. If you know the Lord, if you're a part of His kingdom, if you're a citizen of the kingdom, if the kingdom of God has come upon you and within you, if you serve Him, if you've heard the message of the kingdom and you have received it, his authority, the authority of Jesus should be snatching you to and fro. Just Jesus said it was like the wind. You don't know where you're going or, 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 or where it comes from or where it's going. And so is everyone that is moved by the Spirit. This is what God does in you. And it happens in churches. When God's rulership and His reign comes upon us, things happen that disrupt the natural order of things and, and causes groups of people to break out of the routine. I think we should pray for that. We should pray for that among our church and other churches. When God's rulership and His reign comes, when the kingdom comes, it, it, um, it, sometimes it comes among whole cities. Sometimes it, sometimes it happens in whole nations and they, they get disrupted because it's not of human origin. And that's the second thing we see what Jesus says. Jesus said His kingdom was not of this world. There is currently a difference between the rule of God and the reign of men. But can I tell you that it's just temporary? It, in, in the end of time, it is going to be radically different. But for now, the two really are separate. And if there's any group in history that had trouble separating their, their national identity as citizens of an earthly kingdom and their spiritual identity... As citizens of a heavenly kingdom, if there's, if there's, if there's any, any, any group that ever lived that probably had a trouble with this, I would say it was Jews in the first century who received Christ as Savior. We see this among the apostles, um, and we see this among the first Christians. For hundreds of years, they had been looking for a Messiah who would occupy David's throne from the Old Testament, and they thought that it was going to be an earthly kingdom, but this was never Jesus' intention. His intention was never to use government power for spiritual ends. He never did that. He didn't have to. He, he didn't need it, but he was tempted to. Y'all remember when Jesus was tempted to seize power through the kingdoms of man? You remember whenever he was tempted to do that? To do that? In, I believe it was Matthew chapter 6. The Bible says Satan took him up on a high mountain. And it said he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. Not the kingdom of God. Showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, hey, I'll give this to you. Now, I don't know about you, but the temptations that I face in my life are very real. They tug at me very strongly. The temptations that I have faced in life, the temptations that you face in life, they are, sometimes you can feel those temptations in your bones. They are just deep inside of you. That's why you need a lot of prayer, and you know, that's why you need the Lord to help get you through them and to overcome them. And God promises to give you a way of escape. Jesus was tempted... When Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, I can just, I can just, I can just hear, I can just hear, I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here, but I can hear Satan whispering in his ear. 
you know that spiritual agenda that you have, you could accomplish it so much better if you could seize the power of governments. Imagine, Jesus, if you had all the governments of the world at your disposal. They were yours. You had them. Imagine how many people could hear you teach that Sermon on the Mount. Imagine how many people would notice all of you. Imagine you could expose yourself to the whole world if you had the power of all these kingdoms of man. And Jesus said, no. He said, I, I, don't, I don't, basically, I could see Jesus saying, we don't need him. We don't need, we don't need the power of man. He never had to use the power of government to advance a kingdom agenda. And I believe that Christians also need to resist this temptation. And I mentioned this last week about how we have a kingdom that doesn't need to be fought for. Um, now, the kingdoms of man do. Listen, if, if, if we want to maintain borders, if we want to maintain autonomy as a nation, any nation, they have to have a military, they have to have a set standard, uh, a structure in which they, uh, which they follow, they have to have policies. And worldly governments, worldly kingdoms must be protected from enemies, and we say both foreign and domestic, right? We talk about that. But our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom does not have to be fought for. The Apostle Peter didn't understand this whenever Jesus told him that he was going to be crucified and killed by a government power, by the way. And Peter took him off to the side and said, no, this is never going to happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a hindrance. He says, you're not thinking about the things of God. All you're doing is thinking about the things of man. It's something that is so much bigger than that. Our kingdom is bigger than the world. Some people would say, well, Christians need to be more involved in politics. And my response to that is, of course. We want to influence and infiltrate every sphere and every area of this life. We want our evangelistic efforts to break into every area of life. Of course we need to be involved in that. But listen to me, when it comes to the success of God's kingdom, we do not need government power. We don't need it. Jesus didn't need it. God's kingdom doesn't need it. Do, let me, do, you, do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that? Because let me tell you something. If you believe that God needs human power to keep a hold of his kingdom, you serve an unpowerful God. If you believe that God somehow has to wield something, some system that we have here on this earth, and somehow we give it to him, and somehow that empowers him to do what he wants to do, that's a small God. That's not my God. That's not the God that I see in Scripture. In fact, the God I see in Scripture laughs at government power. And uh, how about this? In Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, 
laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. There's nothing that can defeat God's kingdom. But we do have a king that came into the world. We see this clearly in John chapter 18, verse 37. We have a king that wasn't, that wasn't somehow born of human origin. We have a king that was eternal, that incarnated himself and came to live among us. And because of this, in no way do I want us to dismiss the systems of this world as unimportant. We need Christians being Christians in the business world. We need Christians being Christians in the sports arenas. We need Christians being Christians in all types of arts and entertainment. We need Christians being Christians in both local and state and national governmental politics. We need to be in these places. But we have to understand that God's kingdom is going to advance, and we don't need any world power in order to do it. Our job is to do what Jesus did and to simply bear witness of the truth. Jesus inaugurated a kingdom that is the most powerful that the world has ever seen, and all he did was preach and heal. Can I tell you that that's all that's necessary? It's interesting to me that God has reduced our task to be that simple. That we simply share the gospel. We bear witness to the truth wherever we find ourselves. If you, become, if, if you find yourself in whatever sphere of life, you can do what Jesus did. You can incarnate yourself in that position as God's representative. And you can bear witness to the truth in whatever place that you find yourself. You see, Jesus is coming to earth 2,000 years ago. It inaugurated his kingdom. Something new, something brand new happened when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago. It had been prophesied in the Old Testament, but it started something new and something different. Jesus described it like a seed that was planted in the ground, a small seed, just a mustard seed that was put in the ground 2,000 years ago. But Jesus said, it's going to grow. It's going to become big. It's going to become a flowering tree. And I can tell you that that is as prophetic as it was illustrative. Jesus said that his kingdom, that it was like leaven, that a woman hid in, in some dough and that it, it worked its way through in this chemical reaction. That happened 2,000 years ago. It was inaugurated the kingdom was when Jesus came and when we see it we look at it like it's a treasure that was discovered in a field or a costly stone of infinite value and we have to sell everything that we have in order to buy it Jesus said that the inauguration of his kingdom it was like a net that was cast into the sea and gathering fish and that the message of the kingdom is like a seed that's planted in the heart, and it grows, and it produces a crop. You see, all of this was inaugurated. The kingdom was inaugurated 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. But Jesus is going to come back one day, and the kingdom is going to be 
consummated. We also have that recorded in Scripture, by the way. We have the facts of Scripture that Jesus is going to come back and the kingdoms of man will end. The kingdoms of man, all rule and all authority and all power will be completely taken over and absorbed by God and his kingdom whenever Jesus comes back. Satan will be defeated and all of, all of his demons and all of those who have all the conspiracies to create disorder and chaos. Their Bible says they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. There's going to be complete justice. God is going to make all things new. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. It will all be over with. No one will ever die again. No one will get cancer anymore. There won't be any more broken relationships. None of that will be around anymore. When Jesus consummates his kingdom, all of that will be gone. What are you seeking are you seeking the kingdoms of man? Oh, I hope today. I hope today this sermon has whet your appetite to look through all of the systems of this world and see a larger agenda at play and to see beyond that and to see what God has in store. Because the Bible says that when we talk like this, that we're seeking a homeland. And it's not talking about an earthly homeland. It's speaking about a better country, a heavenly one. And the Bible says that God has prepared a city for us. Over the next five minutes, I want us to do something that we usually don't do at the end of a service. Um, I want to spend about five minutes, and I want to read about that kingdom. Can we put our minds on the kingdom for just a moment? Would you... Would you open your minds and open your hearts and maybe even open your Bibles to the end of Revelation as we, just, as we just take a look at God's kingdom and what he has in store for us? I've got some folks that are going to read the scriptures. If you could go ahead and make your way up at this time. If you want to follow along, would you turn to Revelation chapter 1 and would you just follow along with us as we seek to plant our hearts and to plant our minds firmly in what God has promised. You know, it's so easy to turn on the TV and to watch the news or to have a conversation with each other. It's so easy to see the kingdoms of man. It's so easy. Read your newspaper and whatnot. Let's, let's look at something different today. You know, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, there's a blessing that is pronounced upon us. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Listen, the time is near. Away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And this is verse 9 through 14. Then came the one came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates at the gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates and on the west, three gates and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Thank you. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bride and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I don't know where your mind is today, but I hope 
that just for a few moments you might place your mind upon the kingdom. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And I just want to ask you a very important question today. Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Will you be, the, will you be one that inherits that city, that kingdom, that Jesus that we just read about? Will you be there with us? Will you be in that city with those 12 gates and those 12 foundations? Would you call on Jesus right now and ask him to save you? And spend just a few moments just praying to the Lord whatever he might have on your heart today.